Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. Martha Stewart, the original influencer. When I think about anything, I think about the way that she did it first. The media mogul. The six years ahead, she saw what was coming. The prisoner, the rise, the fall and the reinvention of an American icon. Once Martha paved the road, everybody else pretty much copied her. A CNN original series, The Many Lives of Martha Stewart, now streaming on Max. Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex. Today, I am chatting with Ji Young Yu. Ji Young stars as co-lead in the six-part limited series, Expats. I think I learn a little bit with every character that I play. I think usually I play a character and it causes enough introspection that I learn something about myself. I honestly can't gush enough about Freaky Tales. I'm so excited to share it with more people. If you like what you hear, be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the Scene to Scene podcast. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Hello, welcome to the MMQB NFL podcast. I'm Connor Orr. We've got Albert Breer here to break down the draft, and we have a computer that has just been repaired virtually by the IT department. Albert, I wrote so much this weekend that I broke my damn computer. How about that? How's it doing? It's on the mend? So this is funny. It's it's one of these situations where I don't know what broke it. I have two little kids. I have a five-year-old and a two-year-old, and recently I checked the underside of the computer and it was just coated in old coffee. Now, I don't know when this coffee was made. I don't know where it's from. I don't pour coffee onto my computer, but I'm guessing that might have something to do with it. I'm guessing that every time I plug in my laptop and they run by and kick the charger out of yeah. the laptop and then the charge the little uh, dongle thing breaks inside yeah. the computer um could be one of those things um my two-year-old gronked one of my old laptops and uh <laughs> and just smashed the screen so i don't know what one of those things it is but i like to tell my employers i like my employers to think like the laptop was legitimately smoking because i was writing so much about the draft or just blame it on your kids or just blame it on your kids, right? The, like, the, it's such a weird thing when you're an adult. Because no one can, no one can kind of, no one can argue back against that. Yes, when, but when you're an adult, they can fight you. They can't fight. They can't fight a, fight a five year old. <laughs> yeah, they can't fire my five year old. They yeah. might try. Um, but, but when you're older, it's so funny because what are they going to do, right? I mean, you break a computer. Like when I was a kid and I broke my Game Gear, the punishment was 
I didn't get to have Game Gear anymore, and that yeah. was it. But when I break a really nice MacBook Pro, I mean, really, kind of the only solution is to give me another MacBook Pro. You know, so it's not like uh, it's not like I'm doing too bad over here. It's That's just, right. Uh, it's, like I think Game Gear was pretty. Game Gear is underrated because that was like I believe that was wasn't that the first color portable game system, right? Because mm-hmm. so you had the Game Boy, which was like completely groundbreaking because there'd never been anything quite like the Game Boy, and. And that that was actually how like Tetris became very popular because of the Game Boy. Because I think it came with Game Boy, and then yeah, and then Game Gear was like underrated because it was sort of the in between, you know, when before those things really started to take off. My dad to this day, he got me Game Gear and Sega Dreamcast. We were a Sega house, but they were just pummeled by Game Boy and PlayStation. And to this day, like we will have this conversation. He'll say, like, I bought you the better system. I did my research. The graphics were better. The games were better. And I do think that there's something to that. I did don't you have disagree a Genesis? with my dad. I, I had a Genesis too. Yeah. The the Sega Genesis 32 bit with the graphic upgrade card. Okay, yeah, because this because the Genesis was the competitor to the Super Nintendo. Correct. And I, the Dream, I actually had a Dreamcast too. I feel like that was in the in between, like between like N sixty four, and um, it was in between N sixty four and PlayStation, and then mm-hmm. PlayStation sort of took over, and then like Xbox became the competitor for PlayStation, right? Yeah, and Sega just kind of got drowned out. But I, I loved all this, the Dreamcast sports games. I mean, NFL 2K series was really good. The yeah. college football, they only made one. Um, and I remember it being really, really good. I liked it. Um, but anyway, you guys aren't uh, you guys aren't downloading this to hear my Sega Genesis takes. Even 1999 though I did, video game analysis. I did tweet and, uh, over the weekend. I was like, can someone help me? I, I just got the sudden urge to play um, College Football USA 97, and yeah. I just said, listen, I need to do it right now, and someone hooked me up with like an emulator online, because I got the theme song oh, stuck you found in my head. Someone, so you can just, there's a website you can go to. I know I'm sounding like an old person right now, but you just go online, and it's just there. But uh, I had to resurrect my old uh, TCU Horned Frogs dynasty from 1997. My love of college football. I used to, I loved the college football video games because I felt like there was so much more you could do with them than Madden. Well, the recruiting. Yeah. There was the recruiting and then like you could like, you could take some school from the middle of nowhere and turn Mm -hmm. it into something and all of that. And, um, you know, I I, I feel like the, uh, like for me, like the one that kind of got me into it, my gateway drug for college football video games was Bill Walsh College Football, which I believe was for the Genesis also. And I didn't have Genesis, but I remember playing it at my buddies' houses. And I, there's just that's why the NFL game was always invariably a letdown because there's only 32 NFL teams, and at some point your team is going to be good enough to win the Super Bowl. But in college football, like the University of Delaware, inserting them into the SEC and then having them run the table is just not a <laughs> thing that's possible in the real world. Uh, well, and I, it was like you, you legitimately had to build them up too. Yes. You know what I mean? Like you couldn't just do it in a season. You it like took some time, like where you had to recruit well, like recruiting classes you had to build up and like yeah, like the dynasty mode in college football games. I, like I'm glad college football is coming back, and I, it's good that the players are actually going to get compensated for it this time too. Um, but yeah, like all the different things you could do with college football games are amazing. I uh, I got my kid a PlayStation Five for Christmas last year, and uh, yeah, I'm paying it. I'm paying attention to when the college football games start coming out again. I think it'll be what a year from now. Um, that might be when I get back into video games. Dad, you're not letting me try it anymore. Uh, 
All right, so let's wrap up. This is the, for you, uh, goddammit. <laughs> yeah, I bought this for us. Uh, that was so. One last story. I do remember this. Like my dad would like I I if I needed like a drink of water when I was older, or you know, I got a Sega Genesis when I was in fifth grade, fourth grade, something like that. Yeah. Um, if I needed a drink of water and I went downstairs at like eleven, he'd be playing like. He'd be playing College Football USA 97, but not only be playing it, he'd be playing it on the full 15-minute quarters and, like, just <laughs> oh, sitting there. Oh, so, like, there. the stats were realistic and oh, stuff? Oh, yeah, like, realistic <laughs> stats. Like, he was, like, running through a Notre Dame season at, like, 1130, and I was like, what's going on? Um, I caught my dad. So, I have, like, because I'm a little older than you, I, 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 I'm glad you said that, like, and you're not weird because I caught my dad playing, like, Nintendo games. This is, like, 8-bit Nintendo like, this would be late 80s, like, waking up late at night. And I think, like, lots of kids our age had that experience because our dads didn't get to play video games when they were kids. So they saw oh, it, yeah. and they're like, oh, my God, look at this. And they wanted to give it a shot, which, like, in retrospect, I kind of can't blame them for it, you sure. know? Like, so, yeah, I, I, I feel like that 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 that's coming for me. Although I will say, like, with the PlayStation 5, like trying to get that thing started and then all the blocks that are on. I mean, it's just, it's like launching a, 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 a scud missile now trying to get the PlayStation five going. Whereas like, I don't know, our air, all you had to do is hit the power button and hopefully you'd blown out the cartridge enough. So it was actually working. <laughs> all right. Here's my attempt at a transition here, because I do think we're talking about best classes, worst classes. Mm -hmm. And then we got a little bit of a grab bag at the end here. We're going to get to Will Levis. We're going to get to the running backs. We're going to get to what I saw as kind of a, a late round QB boom, a couple other uh, ins and outs, odds and ends. But um, Indianapolis, if there was a single team to me that blew out the proverbial cartridge and restarted themselves as a <laughs> franchise. It was the Colts. I don't think that, I, and again, I have been prone to hyperbole when it comes to Ballard. I have been high on this guy for years. And again, we talked about mm -hmm. this a couple of weeks ago. It's been Ballard hype nonstop, year after year after year after year, and then they end up with a really good guard and a good middle yeah. linebacker, right? Yep. And you can't do that. Not, but this draft class, to me, was just full of guys where you're like, how did that board fall to them the way that it did? I mean, um, Josh Downs, Julius Brents, two of my favorite players in the draft. And then to get Anthony Richardson at the top, like, I, I think they smoked this one. Yeah. And I, I look at it like, again, like you look at like with the, with the Richardson pick in particular, um, I, I think it's, it's a swing, but then you like kind of look at the background of the two guys in charge. Right. And so you see Chris Ballard, and he's very traits happy, you know, and that was sort of what attracted him to Patrick Mahomes when he was scouting for the Chiefs. Now, he wasn't there when they drafted Mahomes, but he was part of the process all the way up until that January. And he was one of the big advocates in their building for, for Mahomes. And you can see it in the way, like, their linebackers are built, right? Like, in the way that they draft, like, they, they're very much, like, you know, physical traits, like, that you can't teach, like, we're going to bet on those. And I think that's what Richardson is. It's I would rather gamble on the talent than watch him become a superstar somewhere else. So there's that, right? And then the second piece of it to me is Shane Steichen, who basically drew a template for how you develop a young quarterback like this who's a little raw, who needs refinement in what they did in Philadelphia for Jalen Hurts. And, I, you know, I can remember this story, and I know you did a lot of work on Shane and um, yeah, I can remember this story from a couple of years ago where, um, you know, they 
like had had their issues and you know there were some fits and starts there early in the Sirianni era and Sirianni hands play calling over to Shane and Shane more or less installs the Oklahoma run game and you wouldn't think of that as a way to develop a quarterback but really if you if you if if you look at it it's like this is something he was very comfortable with it was going to take advantage of his legs and if you were throwing off of a run game that he's very comfortable with well then you're going to put him in a position to succeed and then you build off of that it sounds to me, Connor, like that's exactly what Anthony Richardson, like you listen to the scouts, you read up on him, like that's exactly what Anthony Richardson needs. So like that first pick made a lot of sense. Downs, I think, was as clean a player as there was in the draft, you know, and somebody who kind of, I think, fits in with the bigger targets that they have um, on the outside and Pittman and, uh, and Alec Pierce. And um, then, you know, Julius Brents is sort of like the tailor-made, like Gus Bradley corner, right? Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, it's, I always say like the best drafts are the ones that you can, you know, you can explain to a second grader. <laughs> I feel like this draft, you can kind of explain it to a second grader, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what Shane Steichen, the equation that he goes through kind of made me um, confident in the Anthony Richardson pick and that it's starts with... And, and, and again, this is going to sound so simple for everybody out there, but I promise you this is not how it works for a lot of players. Mm-hmm. It starts with, what are you comfortable with? That's A. B, then, is we're going to build the offense around what you're comfortable with. C is we're going to dress up whatever you're comfortable with to make it potent against other defenses by using you know the defensive coaching staff, and they're going to help us make it confusing and make it hard for other teams. That's how they built the the offense with Jalen Hurts. That's how they structured the entire thing. And if you can just you like even if this guy is just a and and I don't think Anthony Richardson is like this, but even if he's just a big old running back in the first year, I still think they contend for the division. I really well, that's, do. That's part of what Hurts was though, you right. know? Yeah. I mean, I I I don't know. Like I, I everything I've heard about Richardson, it's funny because like the default for most people is like if a guy is like got a reputation for being raw then it's like he has to sit and i sort of think it's the opposite with this guy like i I think there are guys like jordan love came in he had a ton of reps in college he needed to sit because he needed some mechanical rebuilding right Mm -hmm. like he needed some work and like you don't want to make him you want to have him making his mistakes and going through his struggles in live action because you don't want him to lose confidence I don't think this guy's problem would be losing confidence. I think his problem is he just hasn't seen enough because he's only started 13 games. So, like, if the formula with Anthony Richardson is we just need to let him play and get and take take our lumps with him, and hopefully we have something really special, well, this is sort of the ideal coach to do it with because he's going to do things and he's going to have it in his bag, stuff that will make the guy – like comfortable right away and give the guy some confidence right away and give him a chance to build off of those things. So, um, yeah, I mean, I view this as again, like, you know, and, 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 you know, Jordan love was one example. Patrick Mahomes is another example where you had these guys who were like, had a ton of throws in college and played a lot in college, but needed some reworking mechanically needed. Like I think to be kind of, kind of like dialed back a little bit, and I don't know if that's what Richardson is. It just feels like Richardson needs to build on his volume of the things that he's seen. And I think Steichen, because of what he can do to get him going, will give him the opportunity to do that. And I, I, I don't know. Do you disagree with my take? I mean, that's a pretty bad division. I think the Colts could could contend I, here. It depends on how you feel about Jacksonville, right? Like, I guess like it, it depends on if you see, like, last year is sort of the beginning of a breakthrough for Jacksonville because, like, they... 
I, I will say this. Like one thing I feel like you always do when you when you go through this, Connor, like the the draft, like you start to like look at teams' rosters and you learn some things. I think just kind of like trying to figure out what each team is gonna do and what their needs are, you know? Yeah. And I remember looking at Jacksonville and being like, holy crap. Like for a team that was a complete tire fire a year before under Urban Meyer, they don't have a lot of like crying needs, you know? They don't have like a lot of spots where you're like, oh my God, they got to fix this now or else. Right. I mean, can you think of any with them? No, and that's true. And and it, they're very young. They're yeah. super athletic. So I agree. I mean, Jacksonville's probably the class of the division, but yeah. I, it wouldn't surprise me. And again, the AFC is tough. But right? are the Colts, but the, I mean, the Colts have, the ball Colts can compete. The Colts, that's not a bad roster. It's not. The, the problem is for them, I think, is that they were bad in some key spots. Quarterback left tackle. I mean, to some degree, corner out, outside of Stefan Gilmore last year, like they need to be better in like the premium positions, and you know Richardson gives them a chance to do that. True. Um, okay, give me your uh, give me your best class, Albert. So this isn't going to be like a class thing, although part of it is as much as it is. I like what they did in general, and that's Arizona. Um, now they've had a really rough offseason. I think you were the one who had the tweet last week that kind of summed it up. <laughs> um, you know, where it's the NFLPA investigation, it's the Terry McDonough allegations against Michael Bidwell. It's now like the um <laughs> the the tampering case with Jonathan Gannon, who like did you really need to tamper? And I, I love Gannon, but like did you really have to tamper with him like when every other job except for one was filled? Um, but I, I, I love what Monty Austin Fort did here. And I, I actually broke it down in my column this morning. And if you look at it, like, I think they may have taken Paris Campbell at third overall anyway. Mm-hmm. So they gave up the third 34th, 105th and 168th picks. And they wound up with Paris Johnson, 33, 81 and first and third round picks next year. And what a lot of people think is a better draft. And then they went and picked up another third round later on third rounder next year on top of that. So they get a guy at a premium position who's got an incredibly high ceiling, who's a middle-of-the-fairway character guy, right? Like Paris Johnson's a good character guy who they're going to be able to build around. Um, And if they get that right, then they've got their left tackle for the next 10 years. And now they've set themselves up to be a power broker in next year's draft. And I do like some of the other guys they got too. Like I look at it like BJ Ojolari, you know, again, a guy at a premium position who I think can play your Syracuse corner there in the third round. Um, and Clayton Toon, a developmental quarterback who I think has some like Brock Purdy-ish things going on with kind of his, you know, his resume. Um, I think they did a lot of logical things. And I think if you look at like the way that they came out of the draft with so much capital, especially the capital for next year, I think it really gives Monty Austin Fort and, and Jonathan Gannon a chance to really build the thing out. You know what's going to be really helpful um, with that capital is going to be to get Caleb Williams when you're the Cardinals <laughs> next year. Yeah. I'm just saying. Like I, I, I did like a five teams that should tank for Caleb Williams list, and Cardinals are number one because mm-hmm. Kyler Murray, I mean, sensibly maybe not back until like mid-October, and let's say that team mm-hmm. is like 0-5 at that point or 0-4. You know, you're not going to want him back for the rest of that season, or you're going to let him – take his time whatever mm-hmm. okay he gets back week six or week seven you're gonna compete to finish in last place in the division just i don't know just thinking about it you might you know who's with too. caleb williams now right who's that cliff kingsbury ah oh. <laughs> there you go 
it all comes well cliff will just be like caleb whatever you do pull pull an eli manning do not go to this franchise you're not yeah (laughs) yeah it could be a problem for them like Um, cliff will be the cliff will be like the 2023 or 2024 version of archie manning (laughs) having the press conference on caleb's behalf I do think, though, I, I think you're right. I think next year's class has two premium, without a doubt, one and two starters, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas I think this one had Bryce Young got you 90% of the way there with the height concerns, and then everybody else had something that you maybe didn't like about them. And right. so, sometimes, like the like the Deshaun Watson, Patrick Mahomes class, those end up being the classes that blow your mind, right? And the right. sure things, the Mitch Trubisky's mm-hmm. end up not being good, whatever. And then you have the Jared Goff, Carson Wentz classes that end up kind of petering out over time. And so we'll see what happens. And sure. you, you, you got to take your shots while you can. But that's why, um, you know, we said this last week on the podcast that I thought what Houston did was interesting. I thought they kind of pushed their chips to the center of the table too early, Mm -hmm. where I thought you could have manipulated some of that capital from Deshaun Watson and you could have pushed that down the road. You could have set yourself up for next year if you wanted to. But that seems to be what Arizona is doing. I think they have a very realistic, long-term view of the fact that, like, this roster is in peril. So let's just— like well, this is a this it's implicitly saying this is this is a couple year project like yes. this isn't going to happen tomorrow yes. right and uh, you know I I think it's interesting too because even if like let's say Kyler has a great year right like next year's class one reason why teams were so hesitant and there were teams that were fishing around for twenty four picks like like over the last over the weekend right they were seeing how can we get this this pick that pick whatever um, and teams were. Uh, hesitant to give up picks next year. It's not just the two quarterbacks. Like there are other guys too, like Marvin Harrison, the receiver from Ohio State, Brock Bowers, the tight end from Georgia. There's the Penn State um, offensive tackle, the left tackle there who came back to school, who probably would have been a top 10 pick this year. There's the guy who's opposite Will Anderson Mm -hmm. at Alabama, Dallas Turner, who's supposedly better and more explosive. So it's interesting that way. And you're right, like with Houston, and I guess we're getting off on a tangent here a little bit, but I almost feel like because of that, there's as much pressure on them to get Will Anderson right as there is to get C.J. Stroud right. Because they gave up. Like, if you look at it, like the Deshaun Watson return was three first-round picks, right? Now, the first of those first-round picks is Kenyon Green, the guard, right, that they drafted last year. And now, like, Will Anderson is essentially the next two. Because you yep. probably would have drafted the quarterback regardless, right? So if you if you look at it that way then Will Anderson is basically the other part of the return for Deshaun Watson. And you don't have the flexibility next year because you moved up to get Will Anderson. So with all this perception that Will Anderson might be a little limited and didn't have the ceiling that, like, say, Tyree Wilson had, they need him to be really, really good. Yeah, I think it's going to be a matter of which one of these GMs and Monty Awesomefort and Nick Casario kind of you pit them against each other a little bit just because it's one view's this class is the ultimate strength or now is the time to strike another one kind of taking a little bit of a broader view on this again different situations though right if you're nick casario you've fired two head coaches after a year you've gotten all this capital you've got Mm -hmm. the best head coach i think in the cycle and so you gotta you gotta punch the gas at least that's that's how you feel about it Um, and look those guys like in their defense they should have good information on will anderson because 
D'Amico is a legend at Alabama. Yes. <laughs> and and Nick Casario comes from the Patriot machine that's so tied in with Nick Saban. So both those guys should have the very best information on Will Anderson. Do you think that, so we're going to get to worst classes here in a second, but do you think that a coach ever gets mad at a college coach for, because here's the thing, this is true for journalists. It's probably yeah. 60% true for coaches. If I call anybody and say, how good is this guy before the draft? What's the college coach going to say? Greatest player I've ever coached. Yeah. Amazing guy. And you're a college coach, and you need these guys to get drafted so that you can advertise and you can use that in recruiting, recruiting. And, you know, yep. all that kind of stuff. But if you're a college coach, do you ever, like, say, so, every, you know, do, do you yeah, ever, like— I've heard there are guys—like, I say there are guys who have reputations for being really honest. Yeah. Um, like, I think Kirby Smart, like, from what I heard, was very, very honest with teams about Jalen Carter. You know, like, very honest about Jalen Carter and, like, how they felt about him. And I heard to some degree, like, that Georgia staff kind of killed Jalen Carter, mm-hmm. you know. And um, I think Nick Saban's another one where if you have a relationship with him, he's going to be really, really honest with you, you yeah. know. Um, like, you're not going to wind up with a guy who— I guess at least from personality and makeup standpoint, isn't what Nick said he was going to be. And then there are other guys where it's like everyone is, you know, everyone like should have been an all American and, you know, should be a first round pick. And so that's part of like, I think this whole process for the scouts and the, um, and then the coaches and it's really what makes a good scout, a good scout, right? Like as a guy who has sources at the school, it's like what we do a guy who has sources at schools who will tell them the truth. And I think, at some schools, it's harder to get to the truth than others. I would, you know, I, I think is a big part of that. I'm just saying, you call me and you say, "Hey, this guy went to Daily Orange University. Is he a good reporter?" I'm just going to say, "Yeah." I'm not even going to know who he is, or her, or she. I'm just going to say, yeah, "Yeah, absolutely." Take him in the first round, New York That's Times. Right. That's right. Hey guys, Mario Lopez here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back, enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit biotoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. Come on, pick and roll! 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. 
Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to HelpMyGamblingProblem.org for free confidential services. So with every best class, there has to be an inverse <laughs> to that. And again, so we're going to get to running backs a little bit later, but I want to lead into this by saying, so you, you know, we do this every year and there is the the content machine that comes out and we have to instantly grade things and I think that it's easy to get the snowball rolling on a class and being like they don't know what they're doing this is dumb this is dumb this is dumb this is dumb mm-hmm. and Detroit to me is not on my list of worst classes and that seemed to be a consensus worst class for a lot of people I I don't get it I I, I yes I mean you should Okay, in years past, you shouldn't take running backs that high, but um, and we will get to the running backs thing, but if you look at what the Lions did, I really think it just represents, like, you you want a team to get the kinds of players that your coach yeah. wants to play. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, Sam Laporta, okay, you take him over Michael Mayer. A lot of people don't understand that. Throw on some Sam Laporta. I mean, this guy's got some George Kittle in him. Like, he's going to be able to punish people downfield. And Michael Mayer is a little bit more methodical. I think he's a little bit cleaner, maybe a little bit less nasty after the catch. Um, Jameer Gibbs is one of these players. Like, this is a Dan Campbell offense. It's something they want to be able to establish this. And Mm -hmm. I thought they had a pretty good class. I mean, getting Brian Branch in the second round and stuff, I did not think they did a bad job. I think you have to look at these things as sort of a mosaic and the totality of it, right? Right. Like, so I know like they were prepared to take Jameer Gibbs at six. And part of the reason why was because De- Devin Witherspoon was their guy. Mm-hmm. And they were going to take Devin Witherspoon there. So he comes off the board. And there was sort of like this in their draft room, a, well, he's our favorite player left. Who cares? Let's just take him. And, you know, it was a hard draft to trade down in. So they go down and they wind up getting the 34th pick as a result. So if you look at it, right, for 6 and 18, they wound up with three players. They wound up with Gibbs, Campbell, and Laporta. They think Campbell can be like a 10-year middle linebacker for them, a guy who's a little bit of a unicorn as an off-ball linebacker, and that he's big and long and sort of the Tremaine Edmonds, Leighton Vander Esch thing, right? A guy who can cover ground and is big and he's hard to throw over and all of that. They think Gibbs, and I think Dan Campbell can talk on some authority here, has a lot of Alvin Kamara to him, right? And then Laporta replaces TJ Hawkinson. So you look at it, and it's like, for those two first-round picks, if they wind up with three guys who, you know, I mean, are legitimate, like, you know, like, like cornerstones and program-type guys for them, I think it's it does make some sense. And to me, like, I think that there was a – a good recovery by Brad Holmes here, I would say, right? Like where, like the guy that you want wasn't there at six as you had expected him to be. So now all of a sudden the board like kind of looked funky. So you wind up finding a way to move down and pick up an extra pick. You take the guy you like, maybe it was still a little early, but you got him and you get an extra player on the back end as a result. And then 
I mean, to have Brian Branch there then, who I think they probably would have been comfortable with taking at 34, and a lot of teams saw in that range, makes all the sense in the world. Because Branch is somebody who, um, you know, we talk about Saban players, right? Like, I remember a couple of years ago, Xavier McKinney was like the guy that Saban was raving to every team about, right? And that's worked out pretty well for the Giants, I would right. say. Like, that's what Brian Branch is this year. Like, Brian Branch is the guy that Saban is telling every team, draft him, draft him, draft him. So I, I actually look at the first four guys there, and you can see very real roles for them in year one. And the other thing is, like, we talk about the whole explaining it to a second grader thing. It's kind of fun thinking about the idea of Jamison Williams, once he's back off his suspension, creating a whole bunch of space for Gibbs to run underneath in, you know, and for Laporta to run underneath in. So you kind of see some rhyme and reason to what they're doing offensively too. So the, the only other thing I'll say in the Lions is just that, and I wrote this in my winners and losers column, Brad Holmes is such an imposing human and Dan Campbell so that when they celebrate a pick, it feels like the building's going to come down. And there's something to that where I feel like if you're the owner, right, and like some of the <laughs> war rooms, they do like a little golf clap thing. If, if you're the owner of the Lions, you can't be in that room in between the two of them or you're going to break a bone. And so yeah. there's something to like they could have selected, you know, you or me in the first round and people would be like, God, I mean, they really seem excited about it. Like maybe this guy is better. Like, I don't know. I think they took the sting off the running back pick by literally just like chest bumping the bejesus out of each other. You know what my favorite thing about it, the Lions draft room is too? It's like you have those two guys and then in the background, you got like John Dorsey, like leaning back, arms folded in his sweatshirt, like bleep eating grin on his face, chomping on gum. <laughs> Like, I don't know why it's become my favorite thing. Like seeing, cause if you remember a couple of years ago, John Dorsey had the missed high fives. Oh yes. Room. Yes. Remember he was searching around for the high fives. Mm-hmm. So now it's like sort of become my favorite thing. And I, I love Dorsey. He, he was the old chiefs GM, the old Browns GM. My favorite thing has been like, kind of like watching Dorsey in the, um, in, in the draft room because you always see something and he's pretty ginger about his high fives now too. He's more conservative, you know, like, feels like he has to be a little careful and make sure that it's going to be reciprocated. Yeah. So so my worst class, and it's not worst in terms of, you know, I want to be clear on this. I, you know, I, I think all these players are going to be fine. Like, it's you know, I'm not going to kill kids at this point yeah. during this time of year because we don't know how they're going to look. But I do think I have the commanders as sort of my worst class uh, just because – I felt like this was probably one of your chances. A lot of teams wanted to move back. With Ron Rivera, you're always going to be in that like 10 to 15 range. Like he's too good of a coach to completely sink and collapse and get down to like the top three. They'll always seem to seemingly go in a run. But this was your chance. And I, I know you've you've explained well, I think, the Jacoby Brissett, Sam Howell thing. We're seeing other teams do that. But I think this was their chance to move up and get a potential high-ceiling electric player because I think their plan is good enough to take them out of the running for the guys next year, too, unless they yeah. want to trade some draft capital and move up. So instead, you go cornerback, cornerback, Emmanuel Forbes, Jartavius Martin, and then you go center, Ricky Stromberg, Braden Daniels, the tackle out of Utah, K.J. Henry Edge out of Clemson, running back Chris Rodriguez Jr. out of Kentucky, and then Andre Jones from Louisiana, the linebacker. So I just think kind of a chalky draft for the commanders who haven't really bowled me over in Mm -hmm. in any of their recent drafts. Well, I think part of the problem is, too, 
that because <laughs> the position they're in, yeah, if they're bad enough to get Caleb Williams and Drake May, especially considering the team is about to be sold, it won't be those guys making the pick. True. So, like, you know, like that's part of the issue. So you need Sam Howell to be good. And then the question is, are you just treading water at the position then? You know, like instead of figuring out a way to kind of get a high-end quarterback in there. Um, I, the, the Forbes kid is so interesting because everyone I've talked to said his tape is electric. Like one of the one of the best players on tape in the draft. The problem is there's no comp for him. He's six foot, 166 pounds. And to his credit, evidently from people I've talked to, he embraces it. It's kind of like Devontae Smith. You sure. remember like Devontae Smith like really embraced it. And it was like, I've tried to put on weight, didn't work. This is my ideal weight. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of what you see is what you get. And he's been a really good player. Um, so I think with Forbes, it's sort of the same thing. It's not, is he going to be a good player? I think most people believe he's going to be a good player. It's There's no comp for a guy that size. And how is he going to hold up in the pros? You dude, know, dude, he absolutely embarrassed Will Levis at that Kentucky game on a pick six. There's like, oh, really? he's got... He looks like if you were to kind of blur everything out and you look at the the tall, lanky frame, it, it almost gives you like Antonio Cromartie vibes, like slightly thinner. Like shorter, skinnier. Yeah, right? shorter and skinnier Antonio Cromartie vibes. But, um, you know, the one point that I'll give them there is that a lot of teams right now are making their living on the, you know, short, quick passing game. He helps to mitigate some of that because he's going to be able to attack right off the line. He's going to be able to jump some of these these quick routes and kind of scare you a little bit. And he's got crazy ball skills. I mean, so mm-hmm. I don't hate the pick. I just hate the fact that. And again, it's not me, right? That Ron Rivera. I mean, I don't. It's fair to say his job is on the line because they're getting a new owner, right? I yep. think Ron Rivera is a good coach, but if my you know what is on the line. I don't know, man. I mean, Anthony Richardson, to me, you know, you could get, you could have gotten up there. You know what I mean? I think the Cardinals would have done that deal for you to get up there and get him. Yeah. And I think it's an interesting idea, too, especially considering Ron Rivera coached Cam Newton, you know, and like, so there's some level of, you know, I think experience with a quarterback who's coming out and um, needs refinement, but has a lot of physical ability. Um, so I'm with you on that. I'm, I'm going to go on mine, like one that I think I had like some questions on was the chargers. Um, and you and I talked about this, like off um, the air, like I, I, like to me, like, I think the, the chalk pick for them and kind of what was, what had been rumored, um, in NFL circles in the days leading up to the draft was that they were going to take Dalton Kincaid from, from, uh, from Utah and, and part of, and I, it's not that I think Quentin Johnston is going to be a bad player. It's more that it sort of is what they already have. Like they already have Keenan Allen and Mike Williams, big body receivers who can go up and get it. Um, and you hope that's what Quentin Johnston becomes. And so like, I just like think if you're going to add something like that, then do it at a different position. Do it with a tight end who maybe you can move around a little bit more or go and get something else. Go and get Zay Flowers, right? Who brings something completely different to the table than the guys you already have. It almost feels like, to some degree, and Tom Telesco has done a great job building that roster over the years, so I wouldn't argue with the decisions he's made. But it, like you look at their draft class, and it kind of feels like they're working a year ahead of some problems, right? Like, are they working a year ahead of either Keenan Allen or Mike Williams being gone with Quentin Johnston? With the USC rusher, are they working a year ahead of maybe Khalil Mack being gone? With the Washington State linebacker, are they working a year ahead of 
like Murray being off the roster after they decline his fifth year option. Like these are all things that I think like you're working a year ahead and, and smart teams do that, right? I just like look at like the spot that they're in with the roster that they have and the fact that they're at the end of Justin Herbert's like rookie contract window. And it makes you wonder if they should have maybe acted with a little bit more urgency and did more things for the here and now, even if it is, even if there's a really good chance some of these picks look really smart two years from now when some other guys are off their roster and maybe these guys are playing big roles. Yeah, I mean, I just don't understand the love for and the continued acquisition of big body, deep threat wide receivers when every team is playing some version of cover two zone and clamping down. And I'm not saying you give up on the deep ball. You have to have that guy in your offense. And Mike Mm -hmm. Williams has been banged up. You could tell how different of a team they were without him. But I agree with you where to me, stylistically, you know, I had them taking B or uh, I think I had them taking Jameer Gibbs in my mock. Um, I thought you were going to maybe lose Austin Eckler. or Maybe you were going to trade him at some point if that was ever going to happen. I know he requested Gibbs would have been trade. super interesting for them. Um, I think they liked him. Yeah. Um, I just thought, you know, that's the kind of thing that helps you in the now and I think gets you there. I think that this offense just has massive holes in the intermediate. And you're depending on Keenan Allen to carry a lot of that load right off the line of scrimmage. And he's just an older, smaller wide receiver. So I don't know. I just, uh, you know, I don't see a lot of, uh, you know, maybe like you said, a year or two down the road upside to this class, but, um, and I think that's sort of what it is. Like I, I look at it and I'm like, all right, like they're working a year ahead of some guys being off their roster. And part of that is planning for Herbert's financial numbers to go through the roof, you know? Um, but like, I just, I do think like there's something to the idea of like building with urgency while you still have that advantage. And even though Justin Herbert will probably sign a contract over the summer, um, that his cap number will probably still be low at least for a year or two into that contract. And so, you know, you still have time to take advantage of that window, but the clock is definitely ticking. You know, else what? You know why the Chargers are are my thirty second out of thirty two draft classes? I'm pretty I'm pretty steamed at the Chargers. I heard this through the um, the undrafted free agent uh, rumor mill was that they were allegedly hot on my boy Holt Nailers, the Viking quarterback. Oh, your guy. Where did he wind up? Seattle. So. Oh, perfect. Um, Right yeah. by the ocean. That's right. Perfect. Yeah, so <laughs> plenty of ports for him to uh, sail yeah. big ships in. For those of you who don't know, you can read about it on SI.com. We did a story on Holton Naylor's big left-handed quarterback out of East Carolina who is literally a descendant of Viking gods. So I was <laughs> very excited to see where he would go. Um, and, and he wound up in a port city. So. Wound up in a port city. So that's huge. Um, but uh, I, I heard that they were interested in him but then uh the kid from tcu slipped to them uh the quarterbacks so they took him in the seventh round instead and i was like man i think you guys are gonna regret it and now you've angered literally angered the viking gods the viking. and so i think you're putting yourself <laughs> I, in a rough spot there well we do have the uh we do have the big max duggan stetson bennett sofi rematch coming in <laughs> august though <laughs> Can I, all right so I wasn't going to get into this, but well, we're going to get into the quarterbacks a little bit later. But what is everyone seeing in Stetson Bennett that I'm not? And the, I like him. The Rams, you you have so many things that you need. No, I know. Why I'm not, did I'm not you saying, spend I'm, a fourth round pick on Stetson Bennett? I, I just think like, I think some people never got the walk on thing out of their head with him. You know what I mean? Like, I just feel like, and I, like, again, I'm not a scout. I'm not trying to be a scout. 
but I did talk to like some teams that liked him. And I remember like having this discussion where it was, well, you see him in the SEC and he's running away from like five-star pass rushers and getting away from them. And he's throwing the ball off platform. And it's not like that offense had like super, I mean, the offensive line was really good and he had some good backs and he had Bauer. Well, it's a really good offense, but <laughs> um, you know, but like he was a playmaker for them too. You know, he made things happen. And, you know, you look at the championship games, the last two years, um, you know, like he played really well on the biggest stages against Ohio state, like took them down the field at the end of the game, even though he'd had some hiccups in the middle of the game, same thing against Alabama the year before. So I, I just, I think that it's, there's enough there where it's worth taking a flyer on him. Like, could he be like a, a nice cheap backup for three or four years that like if your starter sprains his MCL and misses three weeks, you get a little spark from him. I think that's sort of like a, a decent projection for him in the NFL. They had 14 picks. So, and I do think that's wild. They had 14 picks, had 14 picks. And although they only, I think I, I think I saw somebody said to me, they only have 41 guys under contract or something like that. So I mean, there's like, it, it's crazy. Like, I don't know what the number is, but there's it's something crazy like that. So it makes sense that they have a lot of volume. I'm looking at it now. They had the, that, um, like, you know, when you're two seasons into franchise mode and Madden and you're about to start the year and they're like, you have you have 19 players under contract and you're like, Oh shit. (laughs) I gotta fix that. Uh, yeah, no, but so I remember, you know, quick aside, you covered a team that was sort of like that. I, I'm just going to say I covered a lot of teams that were like that. The 2010 and 2011 jets were like that. Cause I remember talking to Westoff and and this has been such a long time ago. Like I can, I can tell this story, but he was bitching about how all of his players were on the minimum because Tannenbaum had built the roster. So like 10 guys were making all the money. So mm-hmm. like all the special teams guys were like rookie free agents on the minimum. And so I feel like that's sort of what the Rams are going to be this year. Including uh, Nick Ballore, who is like still in the NFL, which was like, which is wild to me. I remember, I think Nick Ballore and I were rookies together and we're both still at it. So good for, uh, there you go. Good for Nick there Ballore. Go. But so the Rams, I, I will say this was a Baltimorean draft for them where they had so much heft in the fourth and the fifth rounds that yeah. okay you take Stetson Bennett because he's the best available and I got like eight other picks here so I if I screw something up you know I got some volume here and I can pad it I'd be I, you know I'm curious to see how this works out I thought that Travius Hodges Tomlinson was yep. sneaky one of my favorite I, I thought that guy was a phenomenal college player, probably one of the best players on TCU. They seem to like the TCU roster. Drafted a couple Horned Frogs this mm-hmm. year, but um, you know, anyway, that's enough for. And, uh, I, and I think like I, I like Zach Evans there late in the draft too. Actually, I was so bored on Saturday by the end of it that I had to. They have Jake, Jason Taylor the second there, and I, I don't know if you remember this, but during the college season, Jason Taylor's kid, the Hall of Famer Jason Taylor's kid scored a touchdown for LSU against Alabama. Or it might be the two-point conversion to beat him, whatever it was. He's like a tight end at LSU, right? And so one of my like projects out of boredom on, um, on, on Saturday afternoon was figuring out if this was like another of Jason Taylor's kids, and it turns out it wasn't. So there you have it. That's, he's the son of another Jason Taylor. Another former Jet legend, Jason Taylor, by the way. That's right. Hey, guys, it's Rich Davis from Covino and Rich here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure ready RAV4. 
Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance or any terrain from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew could stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features like the panoramic moonroof, you could sit back and enjoy the wide open views with the whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter what your style, you could drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to HelpMyGamblingProblem.org for free confidential services. Saturdays are for sunshine, especially for your ears. With another election, ongoing wars, and natural disasters, we know the news can be a lot to take in. And we're determined to share the bright side of humanity. Every Saturday, take a breather from the headlines and hear all the uplifting happenings across the world with Five Good Things, a new weekend edition of CNN Five Things. That means you can find this goodness in the same feed as Five Things. Listen to Five Good Things on the iHeartRadio app. I have some odds and ends here to get to at the bottom. Mm-hmm. Um, you and I kind of promised a little bit deeper of a dive into Will Levis and what was going yep. on there. <laughs> if, if I work for the Colts, I'm probably just like, can the owner stop saying, first of all, stop tweeting that we might take him in the second round? Like, I can't imagine that's something that anyone can does can do that helps anybody. But also to come back out and say, yeah, we almost took him in the first. Just don't even... Don't even make that a public thought. I know that they liked Will Levis, but I don't know. I'm, I'm, I want to hear your take on why you thought he fell, and I think it was an A-plus pick yeah. for the Titans. I really do. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I would say he, it was a combination of things. It was the tape wasn't great last year. It was his interviews didn't go great. Um, I've, the one thing I heard on him was like, because he's a pretty smart kid, it was like, he knows what the NFL wants him to be, and he was trying to come off as that, and it came off as a little phony. Mm-hmm. And so there was some concern over that, like especially when you're drafting a guy to be your franchise quarterback because a franchise quarterback has to be able to captivate your locker room, right? It has to be able to be the guy at the front of the room, and you can get away with some things in other positions that maybe you can't at quarterback. So that concerns some teams too. Um, now teams that like him would say, well, you know, turn around and look at the 21 tape. And he was hurt this year and he went through a coordinator change and he lost a whole bunch of really good players, Wandale Robinson, a bunch of linemen off of last year's team. So there were all these, I guess, factors that went into 
the way he played in 22. So it was sort of like, I just think it kind of depended on what teams put stock in. You know what I mean? Like, did you put stock in, all right, this is a guy who was really ascending in 21 and like got knocked off kilter by a coaching change, by injuries, by player attrition, or this is still the same guy who got beat out by Sean Clifford at Penn State and 2021 was a mirage and we saw who he really is in 22. That was sort of, I think, the, 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 the issue with him because his college career was really, really uneven. And, you know, I one thing I did hear is that he did really well in the Titans interview. He hit it off with Mike Vrabel. And one thing that was interesting that I was able to ascertain about their process is they um they asked him to bring cut-ups of his of, of of his worst turnovers at Kentucky, right? They said put it together a reel of your worst turnovers at Kentucky and bring them to us on your 30 visit. And so then when they sat down with him, they wanted him to be able to take him them through like the decision making, the mistakes he made, because they felt like if he could show them that, then he'd be able to correct some of the flaws in his game. And so, you know, where I think the pre draft process was really, really rocky with him for a lot of teams, the Titans sort of saw it a different way. When you say trying to be like the NFL wanted him to be, are you saying, you know, we all sort of know he's got that outsized bro kind of vibe to him? Was he toning yeah. that down or was he turning that up? And then turning it up. A Whoa! Yeah. So I think it was like this bravado that he had about him where it was like, dude, you don't have to put, we just want you to be yourself, you know? And I think there was a little bit of like that. And the word that was used was anxiety. Like there was like a nervousness or an anxiety to it um, that like teams kind of felt when they met with him. And so, you know, I don't think he's a bad kid. Like I know he's really well liked in Lexington. I know the guys who coached him really liked him. And, um, you know, I, I texted with Liam Cohen, who was his, you know, offensive coordinator at, in 21 and is back at Kentucky, and he said he thinks he's going to be the steal of the draft now. I mean, Liam knows the kid needs some development, but there are some big-time tools there, you know? Like, there are some very real tools to work with there, and I think the, the great thing is he's going to a place where Vrabel is certainly not going to force him out into the field. In fact, if you want to know how Vrabel thinks of rookie quarterbacks, there's a video floating around the uh, internet from his press conference the other night. Did you see this? I didn't see this, no. So someone asked him um, about uh, Stroud and Richardson coming into his division, right? And his his mess, his answer was more or less with like this, like, look like he just like, <laughs> looked like he wanted to be anywhere else in the world, but sitting at this podium when he, when, when he heard this question was, yeah, I got bigger problems than a couple rookie quarterbacks coming into my division. <laughs> <laughs> it is funny, though, if you're Will Levis, right? And I don't know if he did this with Mike Vrabel in particular, but if I were to try and fake who I am persona-wise, he would probably be one of the last guys, like him, Mike Tomlin, some of these other guys. See right through it. They would see right through it. You know what I mean? And I that would terrify me because, yeah. you know, but maybe that's just it, Connor. Is he knew he couldn't do that with him? I can I can tell this story now because it's so. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm not down that career path, but I was a I was a um, finalist for this interview for um, WABC Radio at the time in college, and that was they had. God, I want to say they had like the Sean Hannity radio show at that point. Like it was a very. Um, 
you know, sort of your Fox Newsy sort of crowd, but very prestigious radio fellowship. And I had to buy a suit. They flew me to New York. I stayed at Hotel Pennsylvania. I'll never forget it. And I walk in there and I'm like, I got to be Mr. Young Republican here. And <laughs> I got to figure out. Do you have like an Oxford tie? I was like, yeah, I was like, how do I do this? And again, I mean, I'm not, you know. I, I would go, I would go like blue blazer with gold buttons. Tucker Carlson uh, with my bow yeah, tie. Yeah, like the khakis. <laughs> Plain white shirt, pressed white shirt with like the Oxford tie, you know, the, the, the thick stripes. And I essentially, I mean, you know, whatever. I'm, I'm pretty politically ambivalent at this point. But, you know, I mean, I, I wear tie dye probably six out of seven days a week in my normal day to day life, which is, I mean, just kind of how I take my treat my dress and my overall aura seriously, uh, how seriously I take myself. And so I'm in this meeting and this guy's just like, so, uh, you know, uh, what do we think about Obama here? Like, you want to break this down? And like, I was just like, oh, my God. Um, and he just looked at me like I like I looked at my kid when she cut her own hair. You know what I mean? And and just yeah. like and he could see right through it. And I imagine that that's probably what yeah. <laughs> Will Levis is going through where you're trying to trump up this like, oh, I'm this big alpha dog guy. And all these coaches are like, man, oh, man, there ain't no way I'm, I'm taking yeah. it. I do think well, he's going to But again, like, like if you're him, it's like, you go into the one with Vrabel, and it's like, all right, I can't. I'm not going to be able to pull this off with this dude. And you're just going to be yourself, and maybe it works. There's not know? a guy that's more comfortable in his own skin, I think, as a head coach than Mike Vrabel. Maybe Mike McDaniel. Right. Um, yeah. So the other sort of tidbits that I want we we teased running backs a little bit, and we had some thoughts on this after. I don't know. I'm I'm vacillating, right? Because I I think what we said on the last show, and I agree with you with, and you have a little bit more extra kind of good intel from Art Smith that I want to get to. Um, I'll just reiterate, I think we're in a cover two league. I think that, you know, I've checked with a lot of coaches on how you beat this at this point, and it is checkdowns, right? It's allowing running mm -hmm. backs to soften up these zones, break it up so you can get the ball downfield. That's why I don't have a problem with Bijan. I don't have a problem with Gibbs. Um, I think that in this vacuum that we're in, you have to give teams an excuse or you have to give them a forgiveness, especially if there's an elite level prospect. But I really liked what, um, I really like what Art Smith told you about Bijan too. Yeah. So like there were some things like, and you know, I, I, the day after the draft, a couple of days after the draft, I do, you know, some background work on what teams were thinking and kind of where they're at and, you know, one of the things when I was talking to Falcons people about it in the discussion in their room was sort of, you know, where, you know, Arthur Smith has this vision for the offense and, you know, a big part of it. And I thought this was so fascinating was Arthur connecting it to basketball. And like he's a big fan of the 13 and 14 Spurs and then of the current day Warriors. Right. And, um, you know, I, the, the thing he likes about them is that they're positionless. And so they've got the flexibility to kind of create bad matchups against everybody. And part of the reason why is because they've got so many guys that are interchangeable so they can move them around. And, you know, you now you look at like what they've built there with their first three first round picks. And I'm not like normally like a huge like throw, throw everything at the skill positions guys guy. But like they do have like the offensive line mostly taken care of with Jake Matthews and Caleb McGarry and Chris Lidstrom and those guys. Right. And so, like, you look at what they've drafted, the skill positions, and it's Kyle Pitts, 
and it's Drake London, who are guys you can move around. And now Bijan Robinson, who's a good, a good enough receiver to line up in the slot. And so now if you're a defensive coach or a defensive player and you're looking at them at the huddle, in the huddle and they break the huddle and you don't know who's going where, that's a real problem. You know, and I think this even extends to like Cordero Patterson. One of the reasons why they really liked Cordero Patterson and why they've paid Cordero Patterson is because he's another one of these guys who you can, when, when you break the huddle, you don't know where the guy's going. And so I think it's sort of, it, it, it's like an, it's the idea of like looking at skill position players ambiguously and not as like in a, in a, in a box, like this guy is just this. Um, it's more, how can we find guys who can do multiple things and threaten the defense in certain multiple ways? And I think like Gibbs is the same thing. You know what I mean? Like Gibbs is a passing game weapon. Gibbs is not just a running back. Gibbs is a passing game weapon. And so if you don't think the receiver class is great, like, right, like why not take a running back first? And I think we get, we get so caught up in like, well, there's the longevity and you can find Isaiah Pacheco in the, in the seventh round. All that's true. But if you have this guy who can be a queen on the chessboard for you, like you know, where you can move him around like however you like, well, then that's a problem for everyone. And then you take it to the second contract, which is the big question, right? Let me ask you this, Connor. Do you know like what other players make? Like, so Derrick Henry makes twelve million a year. Um, you know, Joe Mixon makes twelve million a year. Nick Chubb makes twelve million a year. Do you know who else makes twelve million a year? Hunter Henry, Corey Davis. Like it's like these guys, these other positions where it's like they're they're okay, right? But like you're if you give a guy a second contract at running back, you're getting a guy at that price who is top of the league at that position, and you're probably only giving him a couple of guaranteed years, so you're going to be out of that after a couple of years anyway. So I just like look at it, and I'm like, have we gone so far with the devaluing running backs thing that now all of a sudden they're a value? Yeah, you know, and. Like, it's not that crazy to think you can keep a guy on the field for six years if you manage him properly, you know? Like, part of the problem with Zeke Elliott was the Cowboys ran him into the ground, you know? And the Cowboys, he, he had so much volume his first three years in the league, got so beat up that eventually he was, I mean, like, but you look at what Zeke Elliott did for Dak Prescott and how much he meant for Dak Prescott as a quarterback, right? And then look at, like, what Todd Gurley did for Jared Goff in L.A. And, like, that's what Saquon was supposed to be for Daniel Jones, and now they're able to keep Saquon healthy for a year. And what did that mean for Daniel Jones? Mm-hmm. There are so many levels to this that I think people just ignore. And just, I think it's sort of lazy to look at it and stamp it as, yep, running back, bad pick. You know? Like, to me, it's like, can he get him to the second contract? Can he do more than just run the ball? And can he help you develop a young quarterback? I think all these things can be factors for you. You know? And I, I just, I think that there are, I just don't think people are creative enough looking at that position, you know? Um, and it's sort of like the same thing as with the off-ball linebackers. Like Micah Parsons, a lot of the criticism on Micah Parsons was the off-ball linebacker thing. Well, is that really just what he is? Right. Or is he more than that? That's why he fell to 12. One of the reasons he fell to 12. No, he's more than that, you know? And so I, I think that there are these people, these guys coming into the league now because of how the play, game's being played at the lower levels that are sort of, stamped at a position when they're really kind of positionless. I think Parsons is that guy on defense, you know, and I think on offense, you're starting to see more running backs coming in with that sort of skill set because they have to have that sort of skill skill set to survive at lower levels of the game. I was um, the nineties or the 2013 Spurs reference was solid. And so I just Googled 
the 2013 Spurs. And it's so funny because I just sort of got back into the NBA because I have a friend who's a big Knicks fan. And, you know, I've never liked the NBA. I've never really been into it. And I just found out that Tim Duncan is not in the NFL or the NBA anymore. Like, ju- <laughs> like on the podcast live, I just found out that Tim Duncan we, was well, not. What's your reaction to that? Oh, it's just sad, you know? I mean, I like uh, yeah. Tim Duncan. He's not like, and he's not like now the head coach of the Spurs. I just thought he would always just be with the Spurs. He'd be like Bill Russell, where Bill Russell like became the coach of the Celtics when he retired. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. God. And there's nothing, there's nothing after 2020 on his personal life. So page like, on Wikipedia. he would push pop Greg Popovich aside the same way Bill Russell kind of like moved right at Arbach into retirement. That would have been perfect. That's what would make sense to me. I mean, the big fundamental, yeah. uh, what, a, yeah. what better way for art Smith to build a team than, uh, around. Yeah. I wonder who his Tim Duncan is. Is it Kyle Pitts? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Um, so last thing that I have here, um, I, I think Rich Eisen had the stat, and it was somewhere in the fifth round I wanted to say that more quarterbacks had been taken through the mm-hmm. fifth round of this draft already than the entirety of the year before, thought, definitely. Was it like the most in the top 150 ever? It was, I think, was the most t- in the top 150 ever. And I think we're, I think to me, that is that's the Brock Purdy effect. That is yeah, what's cu- and you and I have talked about this the va- the value of volume passers, the value of experience, the value of these guys. They can get better. They they all get a lot better once they like. Here's the thing: if you're Max Duggan or you're Holt Nailers Clayton or you're Toon. Brock Purdy or you're yeah Clayton Tune, any of these guys, like you are even at Okay, maybe not Alabama, but if you're at any of these, you know, you're not in one of the five best programs in the NCAA, you are lifting with the rest of the team, you are eating with the rest of the team, and you are stretching and working out with the rest of the team, which means you are doing exercises that fullbacks and linebackers are doing. You don't know what these guys are going to turn into physiologically until you start working them out like quarterbacks. Brock Purdy could squat like a fullback. Like, he was as quad-dominant a player in the draft. He had, like, massive quads. And Somebody that- pointed that out to me last year. Like, like I covered the NFC title game, and I think it was one of their personnel guys. Was um, I was in the sideline before the game, and they were like, he's bigger than you think, dude. Yeah. Because I kind of, like, and he's like, like, just, and he's like, they, they were like, just look at his legs. And he comes out, because he kind of, like, looks young in his face and stuff, you know? And you don't think of him that way. But, yeah, he is, that's 100% right. So, you know, you get him into a workout regimen. You get him into a program. You help him understand, you know, what it's like to stretch, to work out, to eat like a quarterback. All of a sudden, all those starts that he made, all those throws, that library of information is so much more useful because now he's a legitimate quarterback threat. I think that all like that is one of the great misconceptions about college quarterbacks. Now, you know, is is Stetson Bennett one of those guys? Possibly. Has he milked all of he, as he can out of that frame? I don't know. But some of these other guys that you're seeing go in the third, fourth, fifth, sixth round, I'm thinking like, dude, if one of them hits, two of them hits, you have some serious juice here. And maybe that's what we're, you know, to tie it back to Arthur well, Smith, that's what you're doing with Desmond Ritter. I don't know. It's like, well, it's just like, and you think about it too, it's like the high floor thing, yeah. right? Like, so it's, if you're spending a fifth round pick, there's a good chance that guy's not making your team the year. I mean, he'll probably make the team in the current year. There's a really decent chance, like he's not going to make the team his second year, right? 
So, like, you think about, like, the majority of these guys don't make it anyway. And say you take, like, a Jay Kaner or a Clayton Toon, there's a pretty good chance the guy's going to be your, wind up being your backup quarterback. So now you're going to get, like, three or four years of service out of him at least, and you're going to get a backup quarterback at a very cheap rate. So that's the baseline. You know what I mean? Like, that's, like... At the very least, we've got a piece on our roster where we're going to save some money that we can spend somewhere else because we don't need a backup quarterback at four or five million dollars a year. Yeah. Right. So that's the baseline. And if that's where you are and that's all you get, that's fine with a fifth round pick. Right. And then the upside is all of a sudden there's some stuff to develop there that, you know, like, like Brock Purdy developed before the draft, after the draft with the Niners, where. Maybe there's a little bit more there, so I definitely think there's a there's a good logic to why you would take a day three quarterback again, who's high reps, who's seen a lot, who is going to be ready to back up in short order, and maybe can become a little bit more than that. It's a it's a smart guy pick, but what's funny is uh, I think a lot of teams like there are smart GMs that will make smart guy picks, and they already have the rest of their roster figured out. But I, what I yeah. love are the <laughs> You know, kind of your middle tier mediocre GMs that are copying the smart guy picks that don't have the rest of the roster figured out, and it's like, no, 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 you you don't have to worry about Brock Purdy right now. Like, you don't need a Brock Purdy. You need like like a guard that can start yeah. this next next weekend. Um, yeah. But that said, really like the um, really like the quarterback boom. I think it's smart, and uh, I don't know. I had a good draft. Did you have fun? It was fun. Yeah, I think the first round was. I mean, I had to remind myself how bad everybody else's mocks were. So, like, it made me feel a little bit better about how all over the place mine was. So, I wound up, I got three picks dead on. Uh, and strangely enough, and I think you have a story like this too, but my two of them were 22 and 23. Yeah. Um, Zay Flowers to the Ravens and Jordan Addison to the Vikings. But I did feel good about getting, I, of the 31 guys picked in the first round, I had 28 of them in the first round. So that, that was pretty good. I was I, I was really happy. I had Lucas Van Ness going to the Packers, and I had I had DJ Turner the second going to the Bengals in the first round. So, so then he winds up what around 50 or whatever it was. Yeah, going I think he was them, like right? pick 60. And so I don't know. I, I you know that's one of those things where you're like at least I put the puzzle together, right? You know, it's right. just you know yeah. maybe some of this stuff doesn't work out exactly the way it is, and it's tough now, right? You know, when when you used to work uh, in a facility, when I was on the beat, you do one of those mock drafts, you you land one of those picks, especially if I was covering the Bengals, I'd be just oh, peacocking yeah. my way around the press room, and everyone <laughs> yeah. would be like, yeah. And now I'm just at home, and I'm just like you know saying to my five year old like, hey, oh DJ Turner, I had that. Your dad had that in the first. I I had, a, I had a fun one like that. Like uh, this was a couple of years ago because you know I do all the TV and radio up here in Boston, and I had uh, Juwan Williams, the uh, Vanderbilt corner, and I was like, keep an eye on this guy. Like I, you know, I just heard a bunch of things about him and the Patriots, and it was the same thing. They took him in the second round, not the first round, but I did nail that one, and I actually said it on TV right before it happened. Uh, and uh, yeah, I that that one that that one felt pretty good, although. Um, it didn't really work out for, for New England there. Hey, nobody remembers that part of it. That's the important right. thing. All that right. matters is that you and I have mock draft stuff we can brag about. Um, thanks to Albert, as always, for stopping by. We'll be back next week with another episode of the MMQB podcast. And, uh, you know, let's get started on those 2024 mocks, boys, because, uh, you know, time is, uh, time is a wasting. The MMQB NFL podcast is produced by Shelby Royston. 
Mark Mravick is the emeritus editor of the MMQB, Super Bowl champion Andy Benoit of the Los Angeles Rams, and rec league basketball three-point assassin Gary Grambling are the founders of the MMQB NFL podcast. Be sure to subscribe to this feed on Apple Podcasts. And once you do, leave a rating and review because it really does help other people find the show, which is available on Spotify, Stitcher, SI.com, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to HelpMyGamblingProblem.org for free confidential services. Martha Stewart, the original influencer. When I think about anything, I think about the way that she did it first. The media mogul. The six years ahead, she saw what was coming. The prisoner, the rise, the fall, and the reinvention of an American icon. Once Martha paved the road, everybody else pretty much copied her. A CNN original series, The Many Lives of Martha Stewart, now streaming on Max. Billie Eilish and Phineas O'Connell, they're with us today on Crew Call. I'm your host, Anthony DeLisandro. Billie's vocals, it was automatic art. You know, I had to like choose a more challenging route than just like da-da-da-da. You know what I'm saying? Like it could have been like easier. And a lot of people have asked me like, how did you choose to have it be so soft and like so simple? And what else was it going to like? That's what the song wanted. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call podcast on Deadline. Are you looking to step up to a 4K smart TV? One that gives you unparalleled clarity and picture resolution? Then we've got good news for you. Because the Vizio 65-inch V-Series 4K smart TV is now just $348. With all your favorite apps built in, you can stream straight out of the box. You can even sing along to all your favorite music and radio on the iHeartRadio app. Looking for a smaller or bigger screen? Vizio offers unbeatable prices on all V-Series 4K smart TVs. Head to Walmart.com today and score the 4K TV you've been waiting for.